Welcome to Are You Mental, a podcast about mental health. Today we're doing a special episode about COVID-19. In particular, the anxiety and the isolation that so many of us are experiencing as a result of this really quite crazy situation we find ourselves in. At first, I didn't really want to add to the vast ocean of content that's out there about this, but I noticed that so much of it was just really short clips on news programs, and I thought uh, a proper conversation about how we can manage our anxiety and our feelings of isolation was actually really worth putting out there. I'm really aware that different countries in the world are in different situations with coronavirus, uh, not to mention the situation will be different depending on when you're listening to this, but I trust that the content will still be relevant to you. To give you a little bit of context, at the time of recording, uh, we here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, are on day two of a nationwide lockdown where we can't leave the house unless we're going for a walk for exercise or we're going to buy essential items. We can't interact with anyone who's not under our roof. And the country's in a national state of emergency, which is just a weird sentence to say, really. And I know that this situation's pretty similar to what so many countries are going through at the moment. This episode will be a bit different to the norm for Are You Mental? Uh, firstly, because it's basically live without all the editing that I usually do. Uh, I'm recording it in my bedroom, which is not normal. And it's actually just going to be one conversation between uh, me and everyone's favourite psychologist, Nettie Cullen, um, who I've got on the line as we speak. Hello, Nettie. Hello, Mick. How are you? I'm good, under the circumstances. Mm, that's right. Uh, and they are some pretty unusual circumstances, aren't they? Yeah, they sure are. Mm, mm. How uh, is lockdown treating you? So far, so far so good. Um, there's a lot going on personally. My family faces the reality of the coming weeks with each other and only each other, which <laughs> is an interesting challenge. Yeah. Um, and meanwhile, my colleagues and I face the need to be able to connect with our clients and do our work in a different kind of way. Mm. Been working on my website manner, so to speak. Website um, manner, I like that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Extraordinary times. Yeah. And are you finding there's a is demand higher at the moment or the same or I think there's a lot of need out there. There's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of stress. The whole situation brings up really unique things for individuals as well as a whole lot of common experiences. Mm. But it's it's all that anybody's thinking about or talking about at the moment. Yeah. Oh it's yeah. Big. It's just mm. it's all consuming, isn't it? It sure is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd like to start by saying something that I think we're kind of probably all feeling, which is just uh, how surreal this whole situation mm. is and mm. how it feels like we're living in a movie. In fact, I woke up the yeah. other morning and for a split second, I felt like I'd had this dream that there was this pandemic sweeping the entire globe, shutting down normal life as we know it. And then I was like, oh, no, that that's that's actually happening. It's actually real. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, like I said before, this episode we're going to talk about anxiety related to COVID-19 and then the isolation that, that we're all kind of being forced into. Um, mm. Let's start with anxiety. I think it's worth acknowledging that, that the situation in the world right now, you know, it is a little bit scary. Yeah, absolutely. It, it seems that an amount of fear is, is an appropriate response to that. W would you agree? 
absolutely. I think it's natural to feel that fear and anxiety when there's so much um, uncertainty and there's a very real threat. Mm. That brings up different things for, for different people. So some are worrying about their own health and the health of their family. Some are worried about the economy and their jobs and mm. their businesses and how they're going to how they're going to make ends meet. Other people are worried about the way that we live our lives and the threat to the stuff that we that's important to us. Mm. It's big. It affects all areas of, of our life. So I guess the obvious first question is, is what can we do with that fear? What can we do with our worries? Yeah. Given that our worries are um, natural and understandable, there's a real temptation for us to try to distract or push them down or, or deny them. And I think that the most important thing at the moment is that we acknowledge and accept the realities of our fear. Mm. It may sound kind of trite, but I'm thinking this is an opportunity for us to be kind and compassionate to ourselves and, and those around us and use the fear to motivate us to do what we can do. It's a chance to build connection rather than distancing ourselves and hiding away. Mm. And I and I guess there's no advantage to not acknowledging a, a negative emotion, no. right? It'll, it'll kind of rear its head somehow. Absolutely. And in fact, if we if we push it down and deny it, it inevitably pops up somewhere else and it causes more distress and more pain and mm. makes it even harder for us to, dis- to connect with the people that we care about. Mm. Mm. I'm curious, um, we're kind of simultaneously talking about fear and anxiety. Are they the same? Are they the same thing? I think they're slightly different. I think obviously they're really closely related and they both have to do with a sense of threat or danger and they both cause us to try to protect ourselves. In general though, fear um, tends to be a very physical bodily response to a Mm. sort of specific and observable kind of imminent danger. We feel it in our body, we feel the tightening of our muscles and the churning in our guts and um, those sorts of visceral things. Anxiety tends to be less focused, more diffuse, more more of a reaction to something that we're anticipating or something that's not quite in the present but feels like it's just on the edge of our of, of our present. Of course, we'll fear fear and anxiety together. Most of the time, they kind of go hand in hand. Is it that fear is like an appropriate response uh, to something real? And, and anxiety is kind of a little bit something we drum up ourselves. Is that is that how it works, or are they or are they just too intertwined for that? They're they're, they're quite intertwined, and I think that they're they're both appropriate in their own way, and they're both helpful within certain limits. So fear is what activates our survival instincts. It's that really primitive response that activates that fight or flight response. It's it's self-preserving behavior, mm. but it's also quite contagious. It, it spreads. Mm. Um, anxiety perhaps is something that happens a little bit more in our in our minds, and if it's not excessive, it's also really motivating. It it motivates us to be prepared and organized and be ready for something that might eventuate. But it's also really complex because of the underlying sort of beliefs and narratives that it taps into. So it's not always anxiety is not always based in the present, and when it gets excessive, um, it can really disconnect us from reality, and that's not. All that helpful or useful? Yeah, 
In fact, it's funny that since deciding to make this episode about COVID-19, I had this quite intense anxiety-provoking experience a few days ago. Um, So about seven days ago, I started um, wheezing, you know, in my chest, like getting that asthma wheeze. Yeah. And then, and then over the next two days, my breathing was was getting a little bit more strained, <laughs> and then I started getting a bit of a cough, just just kind of occasional cough, and um, this is all couched in a t- period where I'm compulsively consuming all the media about coronavirus <laughs> because it's both sad and horrible and really compelling at the same time somehow. Yes. Uh, so my anxiety levels are are rising <laughs> anyway yeah. and then and then I'm kind of like oh I'm not breathing that well oh I've got a bit of a cough so they're kind of rising and I'm not really admitting it to myself and then about two nights later I um wake up in the middle of the night covered in sweat <laughs> like wet <gasps> and I'm like shit this this is the third symptom this is the fever that they talk about and no sooner had I had that that sudden thought then I felt this just this, and I hadn't really felt it before, but this kind of like cold wave of dread <laughs> just wash yeah. over me, you know, yeah. just sucking, kind of just kind of paralyzing me and sucking the life out of me yeah. in, a, in, a, in quite a scary way. Mm. And in the middle of the night, we are, you know, lying in bed alone going, oh, have I got this thing? And what, you know, what's yeah. going to happen next? Um, so I guess what I was experiencing was a form of of panic, I assume. Mm. And I, I, I only tell that story is because I'm imagining I'm not the only one at the moment. Absolutely. And and I wonder what can people do if, if they're not just feeling a bit anxious, but they actually find themselves in a state of panic. What, what can someone do in that situation? What you're describing is really natural and and I'm I'm sure people there'll be plenty of people listening who will identify with that feeling and that's part of our humanity this is part of what we do and so first and foremost is it's important to be able to accept and acknowledge those uncomfortable feelings and what's happening mm. inside of us that that ability to to say oh man I'm really I'm really frightened and that's that's valid and okay that's understandable and that's that's natural then we can take ourselves in hand if you like and we can do um, certain things just to help calm and soothe that agitation and distress Mm. so when we're all worked up and um, anxious and distressed our system's gone into stress response mode and um, our body's getting us ready to fight or or run for our lives and we can do some very simple and natural things just to, to calm ourselves down and bring us back into that state of, of rest. And the first and most important thing really is, is to breathe. Mm. And breathing is our kind of ever-present way of bringing us back into that state of calm. And it's about breathing slowly and deep right into the very kind of bottom of our bellies and holding that breath and then slowly and gently letting it out. And it's a way that we can um, regulate our own physiological state. We can do that in other ways too. We can actively and consciously um, relax our muscles. We can do that through you know, progressive muscle relaxation type exercises or other sorts of relaxation and stretching. 
And in that process, also being mindful and grounding, grounding ourselves can be really important because like I said, anxiety takes us usually away from the here and now. It takes us out of the present and um, we get consumed with the what ifs and oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And then what's going to happen? But if we can bring ourselves back into the present um, that's also very soothing and stabilizing, quite literally feeling my feet on the ground and paying attention to the sensations of my current experience. Mm. Um, the other really soothing thing is to connect to other people. Uh, and when we are alone, we tend to be much more frightened. Mm. So finding ways to connect to other people, and especially in that time of intense distress can be really powerful can be a really important way of calming and soothing ourselves down mm. yeah there's some good tools I noticed when that happened to me I mean first of all I got my thermometer out and worked out I didn't have a fever <laughs> which was useful um, another thing that I did was I, I actually got on my phone and I kind of looked up some of the stats on uh, how many people had it in New Zealand versus how many people we have here. And as a 39-year-old, you know, what the likely progression of it would be if I got it and, it, and it, you know, all the stats say yeah. that I'd, you know, 99% chance that I'd, you know, get a little ill and then get over it kind of thing. And Yeah. Yeah, and I, I found that kind of fact-checking somewhat useful. Is that something you would recommend to people or is it is it... Am I a bit weird? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not that's not weird. I guess the the thing is that in certain frames of mind or or states, um, facts can be really reassuring and can give us quite a valuable and logical perspective on our fears. Mm. But if my logical mind or my rational mind is in lockdown. Mm. then I might not be able to take that perspective in. If I'm in an emotional tailspin, the conclusions I'm coming to are coming from a place of being fearful and reactive. And then, of course, the solutions that I might reach may also not be all that helpful or all that smart, like mm. you know, like paranoid behaviours, hoarding behaviours, denial, all that kind of stuff. So if I can't take in that logical, rational stuff, it's because my emotions is where I need the soothing, is where I need the, the reassurance and the comfort. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Hi, it's Mick here. I hope you're enjoying Are You Mental? As you can imagine, making this podcast is a pretty time-consuming pursuit, and I often get asked how people can support the podcast. So what you can do is go to gofundme.com and search the words Are You Mental? That's gofundme.com and search Are You Mental? Okay, on with the episode. Moving on a bit from, from panic, what what can we do with our... Because many of us just have a day-to-day level of anxiety at the moment, just with everything that's going on. Uh, mm. what, what can we do with that kind of more moderate level of anxiety? How can we, how can we manage that? Mm. It's, it's very similar to what we do when, when the feelings are intense, Acknowledging, again, like I said, acknowledging and accepting and connecting with what we're feeling and going through at this time um, is really important. We need to take the time to connect and understand, connect with ourselves, I mean, and understand what's being stirred up. Um, because, in, like I said, in times like these, there are different things that are triggered in different people. And if I can understand what's going on internally 
and what in particular is being stirred up for me. Am I afraid for my family? Am I afraid for my community? Am I worried about my finances? Am Mm. I worried about my life? Am I worried about my parents' life? If I can be mindful and aware of what it is that that is agitating for me, then I can respond um, and address those particular fears and anxieties in myself. But more more specifically, I guess, or more, um, I guess, pragmatically, the things that we can do in a day-to-day constant way is to take care of ourselves, both, you know, physically and emotionally. That means eating well, mm. um, maintaining good sleep routines as much as we possibly can, um, exercising, moving our bodies, and making sure that we're, we're doing those things that, nourish our souls Mm. and that'll be different for different people too so for some people it'll be something creative for others it might be music or something physical whatever it is that's meaningful for you and that that moves you if you like and staying connected with people that you belong to phone text video calling Mm. there are things that we we can do and when we are in that state of agitation will often shut down and that can be in a big way when that agitation is intense or it can be in little ways when that agitation is low grade so take action Mm. be um, deliberate about connecting with people be deliberate about doing the things that you can do that feeling of powerlessness and being out of control really really intensifies stress and anxiety so taking reasonable action can be a way of taking back control and part of that can be helping others as well yeah so think about how you can build those behaviors into your your daily life it's not about okay i've been for a walk this morning i've done my my exercise Um, we need to be thinking about that as a regular thing throughout the day practice mindfulness practice Mm. creativity um, move regularly breathe and tune into your emotions consistently throughout the day have a plan Um, routine and structure makes makes things more predictable and manageable and tolerable Mm. um, even if the world is unpredictable and uncertain Mm. okay no that's good that's great yeah Mm. last week i was every morning waking up and checking how many new cases there'd been, mm. that kind of thing. Yeah. And since that experience I described, while we've been in lockdown, I've been waking up, leaving my phone off and composing a limerick. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I'm doing lockdown limericks uh, one a day. Uh-huh. And I love words and I love kind of rhymes. And Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's creative and yeah. it's, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. What role can the media play in our anxiety at this time? Mm. <laughs> well, you've... You've talked about what what impact the media has had for you, and and it, it's really captivating. It's really um, we're like moths to a flame when it comes to um, some of those news reports. Mm. Yeah, I mean this is a really important question, and it's a really um, important thing for us to be mindful of because while the media is really important, it is an essential service. Um, and it's important that we are informed. While that's all true, the media can also feed fear and anxiety, yeah. especially if it becomes the thing that we do in response to our need for reassurance or 
in response to our need to feel in control. Mm. So when we feel unsure or uncertain, we might fixate on the news, maybe as a way of feeling less helpless. But weirdly enough, it doesn't usually make us feel less helpless. It usually intensifies Mm. and fuels the distress. So it's better to be deliberate about how and when we tune into media so that we're informed but not overwhelmed by it. Mm. So it could be things like saying to myself, right, I'm, I'm going to check the news in the morning and in the evening and the rest of the time I'm going to give my attention to the other things that I can do something about or that are going to be helpful and, and useful for me or my community. Mm. So less about acting on impulse and more about being intentional about what's healthy for you. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. That's good. Last year I learned about this this cognitive bias called the availability heuristic, which mm-hmm. is just a flash way of saying that if something's easy to think of, if it springs to mind easily, then yeah. we think it's more likely to happen. Um, that's yeah. just something our brains do. Um, so at the moment, you know, if you, if you were to watch too much news the idea of getting COVID-19 and, and disturbingly the idea of dying of COVID-19 is, is seems something you know it could seem quite a mm. likely thing to happen because of just how much it's getting thrown at us but yeah but the reality is that the amount of people who have died of the virus today that many people die on the roads every six days in the world yeah so in theory our fear of of the virus shouldn't shouldn't yet have overtaken our fear of a road accident, for example. Mm. But then I don't know. That's not always easy to be that logical. <laughs> it's not always easy to be that logical, especially when that danger is is quite invisible, um, and when that threat. I mean, we see the roads and we know how to look after ourselves around the roads. Yeah, we've learned from other ex- people's experiences with cars, but we haven't had a lot of opportunity yet to really understand what this um, viral threat presents to us. Mm. And when when a threat is invisible, it's really really scary. Yeah, that's true. We don't know where to focus our attention. We don't know where to look. We don't. We can't feel sure of what we're supposed to do. It's like one of those freaky horror movies where you're not quite sure where the where the predator is going to yeah, emerge from next. From, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's maybe move on to isolation now. Um, I used to play a game as a kid called Go Home, Stay Home. I don't know if that's a New Zealand thing, but it kind of feels oddly like we're playing a global version of that at the moment, where a huge portion of the world is in lockdown and we're not leaving our houses we're not seeing each other and all this isolation can be well isolating oddly enough yeah we're not getting the social interactions with people that we would usually get um and this 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 can take a toll on our mental health i guess my first question is um how can a big drop in social interactions negatively affect our mental health yeah isolation social isolation has a well-known negative impact on well-being. Mm. So we are, as humans, we're hardwired to seek proximity. We're, we're programmed, if you like, for closeness and connection mm. with our tribe, and especially, especially in times of stress and turmoil. So everything in us is um, wanting to connect and wanting to be with the people that we belong to, be with the people who we care about and who we know care about us. And when we can do that, 
it lowers our stress and it calms and soothes us. So the logical kind of consequence of that is that when we're isolated and when we're alone, this increases our the stress hormones in our body, which mm. affects our sleep and our immune systems. You know, when we're alone and isolated, our immune systems don't function as effectively as they do when we're supported and connected and engaged with each other. Which is not ideal at the moment, is it? Yeah, that's right. It increases anxiety and increases depression. It even can affect our cognitive functioning and our ability to process information and think straight. Whenever we're uncertain about something, and you look, if you look at film footage of people who are surprised or uncertain, what we do is we look around to other people and we look at how other people are reacting and that gives us feedback and information about how we should feel and how we should respond and whether we should be worried or not. And you'll see children look at their parents and if their parents aren't worried, they won't worry, right? But without others to share our experience with and provide us with that additional perspective, our minds often, with nobody else but ourselves to refer to, will race towards that worst case scenario. And then that comes back to what you were saying a few moments ago. If I can think about it, then it's possible, maybe even likely. Mm. And there's there's no... Um, there's no check um, from other people saying, hey, come on, it's not that bad, or hey, come on, we'll be okay, it'll be all right. And that's what we get from social connection. But it's that being with and um, being connected to that is deeply comforting and reassuring for us. So this isn't necessarily painting a rosy picture of our current situation, is it? That, that I mean, it sounds like you're confirming that isolation is not very good for us. Yeah. But but some of us, some of us, myself included, are isolating not alone, but with between two and four other people. Mm. Is that enough? Is that enough? Well, uh, <laughs> depends who they are. <laughs> depends how much you like them. Who they are. <laughs> <laughs> it might be too much. Um, no, I guess the thing is that. We're fortunate to have families. You know, I feel very fortunate that I have my family here with me. I don't have children spread around the world. I don't have, I have them here under my wing where I can look after them and that's reassuring. But I do need more in terms of connection um, and support than I get just from my family. Mm. I need my friends and my colleagues and my my community to support me and to know where I belong and where I fit and my and my place in the world. Then what can you do? What can you do now when you're not connecting with those people? We can be we can be creative and think outside the box about ways of connecting with people and not actually being socially isolated. The social distancing that we've been encouraged to observe is actually about physical distancing. Mm. So the message is actually that we need to be physically distant but emotionally connected mm. right so we've got we've got so many resources at our fingertips we can call somebody rather than texting them hearing somebody's voice is much more connecting than just reading the words on the screen mm. so we can make a point of regularly checking in with people and that might include people that we wouldn't um, necessarily be in frequent contact with ordinarily. I've been connecting with friends and family all over the world 
and then it has been triggered by my knowing and recognizing my need to just touch base with people we can video chat with friends rather than texting or emailing we can meet up virtually that way one of my um one of my clients was talking to me this week about hosting a, a virtual dance party uh-huh. and um, and that it's a little bit unusual, a little bit strange, but it could still be fun was the yeah. comment. Yeah. <laughs> so we can we can do a bit a few weird and wacky things. Um, we can play games with people online. We can find other ways to feel that emotional connection. And we can get that too through things like books and TV shows and movies and stuff. I and mean, that also gives us a sense of connection and belonging in a different kind of way. What about getting on Facebook, posting stuff, uh-huh. people liking your posts, people commenting on your posts, you seeing theirs, commenting on theirs. Uh-huh. Are, we filling, are we filling the void there? Well, this is an interesting thing because I've been thinking quite a lot about this lately and I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only parent that has spent quite a lot of time and energy over um, recent years trying to curb my teenager's social media use and arguing about the negative impacts of social media I often think about the analogy of social media being a bit like dessert there's nothing wrong with dessert you just don't want to spoil your dinner by filling up on dessert before you've had that nourishing meal however having said all of that the role of social media in times like these perhaps adds a new angle to that argument so when I can't have in-person connections when that when that possibility to be with somebody physically is disrupted not by social media this time but by a global pandemic you know online communication can provide a much a much needed alternative a way of compensating Mm. for that and can give us an opportunity to to be in touch and stay connected. Mm. Now I'm saying this and thinking, hmm, my children are probably going to listen to this and say, you said, mum, that. (laughs) (laughs) We can spend all day on Instagram. I know, which is not what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. okay? So we need to be really mindful of that tension Mm. um, and remember to take breaks from our devices and engage in other meaningful activities as well. So essentially maintaining a balanced diet as much as possible. Yeah, I like this analogy that you that you said about social media being more like dessert than the main meal. I assume the main meal is things like personal connection, more kind of one-on-one yes. actual talking with people, is that yeah. right? Yes, intimate emotional connection because, let's face it, posting and liking stuff on Instagram or, or Facebook or whatever platform you're using... Is moving and deep, I find. <laughs> It's very, it's very superficial, but it's very... You haven't seen my posts, though, Nettie. Uh, maybe not, maybe not. <laughs> Sorry. It runs the risk of being very superficial, mm. but, but quite um, seductive. Yes. So we just need to be mindful and careful. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great advice. What about someone who isn't isolating with family or flatmates, in my case, and they're isolating alone? in an apartment, Mm. for example. That situation has a very real danger of being a lonely situation, doesn't it? Yeah, it absolutely does, yeah. What can they do? Well, it's very similar to what any of us can do, but in this case, when somebody is isolating alone, it does take that extra, um, extra bit of energy and effort to reach out and 
make opportunities for connection. Mm-hmm. I was speaking with my father about this, and he um, he said that he and his neighbours have committed to calling each other mm-hmm. and making sure that they're talking to somebody, at least a couple of people every day. That's great. So calling, texting, Yelling over the fence sometimes can be <laughs> um, can be something that we can do because it can be so easy when we're isolated just to shrink into ourselves and deny or push down that need for social connection. We need to be vigilant about that. We need to be deliberate about making sure that we don't neglect that need in ourselves, that we don't neglect that need in ourselves and others for that matter. Yeah. And that if I'm isolated, Chances are somebody else is isolated and we can support each other. Yeah, it's good. I'm curious, um, this podcast has mainly been about kind of staving off or minimizing the negative effects Mm. of the current situation. But I'm curious to know whether, you know, this time of hunkering down and and potentially slowing down and having a bit more space time-wise, are there ways that that could benefit our mental health or or that we could use it to benefit our mental health? Yeah, absolutely. I I absolutely believe that. And at the risk of sounding um, like a cliched bumper sticker, any crisis also presents an opportunity. Mm. This period of of lull, if you like, it's this weird sort of um, big pause button has been press and our busy fast-paced life has had to slow down and so the things that we've filled our lives up with previously we can't we don't we don't have there anymore and our busy fast-paced life I think it's had the effect of distracting us from uncomfortable feelings disconnecting us from ourselves and from meaningful connections Mm. with people around us who we we love and and care for this kind of opportunity to connect with our humanity and connect with our fear and anxiety and be real about what it is for us to be human, acknowledging and accepting our vulnerability and our need for connection, that that process has the potential to enhance our sense of well-being and wholeness in ways that I think are really, are really quite exciting. Mm. Um, times like these, they invite us to slow down and remember what is really important and what we want to be investing our time and energies into. Mm. Um, People do stop and go, ah, how do I really want to be living my life? And if I can ask myself that question and I've got the space and time and I'm maybe even confronted by the reality of a global crisis, it can crystallize things for us and it can help us really tune into what our values are what's really important to us Mm. yeah so so much of the things that distract us uh, and that we probably truthfully want to distract us have been taken away a lot of that kind of comparison culture that that our society seems to be built on is has been taken away and yeah as you say I I guess that gives us a chance to reflect and to have a bit of a values reset potentially absolutely yeah great well as we draw to a close um i'm just wondering whether you have a kind of an overall message to people at the moment yeah i've been thinking i've been thinking about what this whole experience means to to me 
And I guess what it means to me is is going to be relevant for other people too. But I'm all about relationships. That's that's kind of my um, that's kind of my core passion, if you like. I'm about relationships and the fact that our connections with each other are like our lifeblood. We have lots of practical plans to manage the spread of COVID-19 and all those um, helpful things that we can do, like minimising physical contact. But we have the challenge to maintain our connections with each other and look after ourselves, but while doing that, not neglect the emotional bonds, the, those meaningful connections that are actually what life's all about, that strengthen and nourish us, especially at this time. That's great. I mean, I personally like the fact that we're kind of ending on a hopeful note, that there is, that mm. there is actually something, there is hope to be taken from this. And there are opportunities that can come from what, what what's otherwise uh, it could be seen as quite a grim situation. Mm. Refocusing. Okay, well, that seems like a pretty good place to leave it. Um, thank you so much, Nettie, for giving us your time and your expertise. Um, I think I speak on behalf of anyone listening to say we really appreciate it. Thank you. So I guess to give a few closing thoughts of my own, I, for one, am a firm believer that we will get through this together, Uh, not just as a country here in New Zealand, but as a planet. And I really hope that this will end up bringing the world closer together. I hope that we look back at this time uh, and see that some of the walls that were built between each other actually came down. Um, And I want to say that here in Aotearoa, Our thoughts, uh, our prayers and our aroha is with you if you're in a country that's having a really rough time with the virus at the moment. Yeah, we're thinking of you. And if you need to speak to someone about how you're feeling about all this, then there's a website you can go to called checkpointorg.com that has a list of numbers in your country that you can call to talk to someone if you need to. If you're in New Zealand, you can call or text 1737 to speak to a trained counsellor, or you can call 0800 Lifeline. All those details and more are on the resources page of our website, areyoumental.com. Okay, so please stay safe out there, everyone. Uh, Follow those rules about isolation and distancing, and I'll see you back here for episode four on drug addiction. Ka kite anō.